Sensing danger all about them, Beowulf and his warriors went ahead to scout the land. They came then to a cheerless cluster of ash trees by a rushing stream that tumbled beneath a rocky crag, and beyond that they found a dark, deep lake stained with blood. And all knew at once whose blood it was. Worse evidence was to come, for they saw left there on the edge of the cliff the most grievous sight, Ashia's head. Stirred to a new fury, they let out an eager battle cry, sounded the war horn loud and long so that the whole world could hear their anger. Roused and enraged by the challenge of the battle horn, a giant sea serpent slithered to the surface. They saw now that the lake was teeming with them, and with countless strangely writhing water snakes too. This place was a tr- was truly a home of monsters. Beowulf at once let loose an arrow, the iron tip striking home to its mark, deep in the sea serpent's throat. Other spears then rained down until the body of this wave lurker was dragged lifeless to the shore. Grisly, grim and gruesome, no one word could describe this ghoul of the deep. Everyone there was happy to see he was dead, I can tell you, but others were there, skulking shadows of the deep, waiting for Beowulf, waiting for their moment to strike. Beowulf now made himself ready for the fight that lay ahead of him, putting on first his heavily mailed shirt, so strong that no enemy could pierce it. On his head he set a splendid silver helmet that would protect him and ward off the worst of the blows. Wonderfully crafted it was, adorned with gold, richly carved all round with wild boars at bay. No sword swipe had ever breached its stern defence. Unferth, Hrothgar's herald and counsellor, then handed him a hilted sword, hrunting he called it, a sword unlike any other, ancient, tried and tested, wave-patterned, iron-edged, imbued over the years with the blood and venom of those it had destroyed. This sword had never failed any hero before. Beowulf clutched it keenly, eager now to face the foe. But first he spoke to silver-haired Hrothgar close beside him. The time has come, great king, to test again my courage and my strength. Remember, wise lord, all that we agreed before the fight with Grendel, that should I die in your service, you will be like a father to me when I am gone protecting my hearth companions, and sending what gifts you have granted me, kind Hrothgar, to my lord Hyjalak for his safekeeping. Being his servant, you will understand that all I have is his. It will show him how generous you have been, how you keep your word, and he will love you for it. And let Unferth have back hunting, the blade he just gave me. It should rightly be his again. With hunting, I shall kill the ogress or die in the attempt. Let God choose between us. With these words, Beowulf, that daring prince, dived into the lake and disappeared. So deep was the, was the perilous pool that it seemed to take forever before he saw the bottom and felt it with his feet. And there that blood-greedy hag of the deep was waiting for him. Ready in ambush, she sprang on him, fastening him at once with her hellish hooks. But although he was caught, Beowulf was so far unharmed, for her clenched claws could not pierce the mail shirt and draw blood. Pinioned and helpless in her grasp, the sea hag dragged the prince to her cavernous lair. 
Try as he did, Beowulf could not even draw his sword to defend himself against this water wolf, nor against the onslaught of twisting sea monsters now slashing at him with their tearing tusks that threatened to rip away his life-saving battle coat. Still held fast in her deadly embrace, Beowulf found himself hauled to the surface in a vaulted cavern lit all about with fires of hell, it seemed. But at least he could breathe again and was free of the pressing weight of water. At least now he would not simply be swept away and drowned. Then he looked up and saw the monstrous size of this hideous sea hag. He had felt her strength already. Undaunted, he saw his chance. He broke free of her, tore himself away, drew hunting, circled it up high above him, and brought it screaming down on her head, sure it must be her death stroke. But hunting, that battle-hardened, all-powerful sword that had sliced so easily through helmet and mail, could not bite this monster's hoary hide, but simply bounced off, leaving her flesh unharmed, unscathed, unmarked even. Never before had hunting failed a warrior in fight as it had now. But Beowulf, intent on victory, was not in the least downhearted. Rather, his courage was renewed, his ferocity sharpened. Seeing its blade edge would be useless, the hero flung hunting aside and trusted now, as he had before, to his own strength, to the God-given power in his hands. Now was not the moment to think of saving his life. Now would be his time of testing, his achieving of everlasting glory. Anger steeled his strength. Fury fired his determination, stirred him into action. Beowulf hurled himself at Grendel's mother, grabbed her by the shoulder and threw her bodily to the ground. But in a moment she repaid him fully, grasping him with her horrible hook hands so that he stumbled and fell, too weary now to save himself. At once she was astride him. He was at her mercy. She snatched up her dagger. Now she would avenge her boy, her only son. With a scream of triumph she struck. But the male shirt shielded him from the sharp-edged blade, from that deadly point. Again and again she stabbed and slashed, but Beowulf's blessed battle shirt did not fail him. Without it, the Geat hero would certainly have been slaughtered there and then, but God, looking down, saved him, gave him the victory.